Good morning. So yesterday, was it yesterday? Day before yesterday, I was uh, I was driving to work, and which is here at the college. So I was driving to the college, and uh, I passed by seven uh, daffodils, like the first blooms that I had seen of the year. Uh, seven of them were up, and I kind of slowed down and looked at them. And um, six of them were like all the way like flowers to the heavens, and one of them was like bent over, petals still kind of on the ground. Um, it was almost like that seventh one didn't quite believe that spring was here. Um, and this morning I drove by those same seven daffodils and the six that were all up were all shriveled and dead and the one that was hanging over was still alive. So there's some amazing metaphor in there. I have no idea what it is, but um, <laughs> I'm sure it's deep and godly. So feel free to use it free of charge. Um, so when Robert Rowe was here uh, speaking in chapel recently, um, he said two things that just, sometimes it's those simple statements that, that kind of sit with you and that I've been chewing on. It was really beautiful. And he held up, held up the Bible, remember, and he said um, that a lot of times what we do in the church today is we take this and we say, hey, here's truth. Fall in love with it. And he made the really beautiful point that you don't fall in love with, with ideology. You fall in love with person. And our desire here in chapel is always that we get to encounter Jesus together. Um, and my desire and my hope is that all of us will fall in love with Jesus. Um, so this morning we're going to look at uh, chapter 17 of the book of Matthew, the Transfiguration, a story you're all somewhat familiar with, I hope. Um, but we're just going to kind of move slowly and we're going to look at Jesus. And our prayer this morning is going to be that um, we will see him a little bit more clearly and love him just a little bit more. Um, before we get into it, setting a little context there, in Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus has asked Peter the question, who do you say that I am? Hear what everyone else is saying, what do you say? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it's upon that truth that the church is going to be built. And then uh, scripture tells us that Jesus takes um, Peter and James and John and they go up onto a high mountain uh, to pray. So they're up on the mountain, and this is the transfiguration that takes place as Jesus is praying. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Father, you have uh, words for us to hear from your word. Uh, will you please help us to hear them this morning, we pray in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And I love that Luke does tell us what's happening 
right before this. They've gone up onto the mountain to pray. And as they're on the mountain, as Jesus is praying, he is transfigured before them. His face becomes like the sun, and his clothes become white as light. So you try to imagine this, right? Um, Ancient Near East, this is something that if we saw happen in a human, we would have no context for. Um, But we have CGI and movies and stuff like that, so that we've seen seen things like that happen on film. But how this would be completely and utterly other for someone who lives in a a pre-industrial world, right? They're there with Jesus, who is their rabbi, their friend, their teacher, the Messiah, and he's transfigured before them. But what we want to remember is that this is Jesus. This is not an alternate version of Jesus. This is not a, a different Jesus. That the transfigured Christ is Christ. What he is allowing them to see is the tiniest bit of his pre-incarnate glory, literally pouring and kind of oozing into this temporal world. They get to see Jesus in body, radiant with glory in a way that's actually consistent with the work that he has been doing that has been so radiant with glory. And as they're watching and as they see this take place, Moses and Elijah appear talking with Jesus. Now, Scripture is not super clear about what it looked like exactly, but we know this. They were there in bodily form. They had voices. They could recognize who it was, and they were talking to Jesus. And Luke gives us a little little glimpse into what they're actually talking about. Luke says they've come to speak with Jesus about his departure, which is going to take place in his fulfillment at Jerusalem. They've come to talk with Jesus about his death. And if you'll allow me a tiny little bit of hopefully sanctified imagination, we don't know exactly what they said. We don't know exactly why they're there to talk about it, but we do know this. Jesus was praying beforehand. He was praying to the Father, and as he's praying, he's transfigured, and he's radiant with glory, and then appear Moses and Elijah to talk to him about his departure. They're going to talk to him about his death. And is it possible that here we have the radiant Son of God, the creator and sustainer of the world, who's also a scared human that he's going to die? And you have Moses and Elijah who have both experienced very wild deaths. Moses, scripture simply says that the Lord took him and buried him. No one knew where Moses' grave was. The Lord simply took him and buried him in Moab. And then you've got Elijah, who Elijah's taken away by a crazy chariot with horses and fire and up in a whirlwind, right? These two could speak perhaps uniquely to very unusual death of which Christ is about to experience the most tragic death that we've ever seen but there they are to encourage to be present with and can you imagine what Moses and Elijah are thinking Moses and Elijah both got to see the glory of God in different ways Moses in the the glory cloud on Sinai um, Elijah on Mount Horeb but now they're actually seeing the radiant promise of God the fulfillment of the proto-evangelion the fulfillment the one whose heel would actually crush the head of the serpent. This is the one, the Son of God, the Messiah. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. 
If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Um, Luke and Mark both make it clear that, that Peter's freaked out. He's scared. He, do, he doesn't, we give him a hard time sometimes, right? Peter's just blurting out something. But I think in Peter's heart, perhaps he just wants to serve. He wants to do something. He wants to be a part of what's taking place. Maybe, maybe in Peter's heart, he's thinking Moses and Elijah are actually going to stay and that we as a team are coming down the mountain and we're going to throw down Roman oppression. It's possible. We don't know, but I don't think he had something deeply plotted out or planned out in his mind. He simply begins to speak, Lord, it's a good thing we're here. We can make tents for all three of you. Wouldn't that be fantastic? And as he's speaking, the glory cloud of the Lord, the actual Shekinah glory descends upon the mountain and the Father speaks from the cloud. As Peter is speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And again, set context there. Remember the, the entire testimony of scripture. This is the same glory cloud that went through the garden of Eden as Adam and Eve were hiding and God was coming in theophanic judgment upon them for disobeying in the garden. This is the same glory cloud that sat down upon Sinai as the Israelites were there waiting and as the law was being delivered. This is the same glory cloud that led the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness, going before them in cloud by day and fire by night. This is the presence of the living God descending upon the mountain and the Father God speaking. And he says, Jesus is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And it's intriguing. What he says there is actually a combination, kind of a mingling of Psalm, four, of Psalm, two, uh, Psalm, 22, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 41. And what you have there is the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be two things. He's going to be son and he's going to be sufferer. He's going to be the son of God who is going to suffer for God's people. Listen to him, says the father. Listen to what he has said about having to go and die. Listen to what he is about to say. Don't tell anyone what you've seen when we go down this mountain until I have ascended because they won't understand. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard the voice of God, they fall on their face terrified. And we hit what I think is perhaps the most beautiful part, and I want to sit here for just a moment. The most beautiful part of this whole narrative, think about this for a moment. We have Jesus Christ transfigured, and we actually get to see his pre-incarnate glory in our space-time. Peter, James, and John get to witness the glory of God in a way that very few people, perhaps no one ever had. Moses' face was radiant after being in the presence of God, but here they get to see the actual promised son, the Messiah. And they get to see his glory, his face shining, his clothes shining like lights. We have that. We have Moses and we have Elijah showing up from the dead, talking to Jesus, talking about his departure from Jerusalem. We have the Shekinah glory cloud of God the Father descending upon the mountain and speaking within an audible voice, 
so that the disciples can hear. But I think this is the most beautiful part. Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So think about this. Why did Jesus touch them? He didn't have to. Why not just walk by them and say, come, follow me? And they get up and they follow him. But Jesus comes over and he puts flesh to flesh. He touches them and says, rise. Don't be afraid. Because he is fully God, but he is fully man. And he understands what it is to be a person. He understands what it is to be afraid. He touches them and says, rise. Don't be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw only Jesus. There before them, telling them to fear not, though they've just been in the very presence of God the Father. They've just seen Moses and Elijah. They've just seen Jesus glowing and shining like the sun. Like something out of Daniel 7. He says, don't be afraid. Rise. And I think that in some ways that this account, the transfiguration, it's kind of a metaphor. I, I don't want to paint too broad a picture here, but I think of a lot of you when I think of this. I think that what Peter, James, and John are experiencing is in some ways a metaphor for what I think may be happening in the faith of a lot of you as 18 to 22-year-old students. You know a lot of truths. You know that Jesus is Savior. You know that he's radiant in glory and that he's a 100% human. You know that he rose from the dead and that he touches people and tells them not to be afraid. But you are very much figuring out how it all works together. And I watch a movement from truth to person. A movement from Christianity to Christ. The thing that was at the very heart of Paul the Apostle, who counted literally everything as rubbish compared to the surpassing value of actually knowing Jesus. Not knowing about Jesus, not knowing the truths that surrounded Jesus, but actually knowing his Savior. After Jesus was tempted, and he goes back to Nazareth. He walks into a synagogue, one of the very first things that he does. And he actually stands to read in the synagogue. And this is what he read. He read, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is what Jesus came to do. It is who Jesus is. He is the good news for the poor. He is the one who brings freedom for prisoners. He is the one who restores sight for the blind, hearing for the deaf. He is the one who sets the oppressed free. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. He's the one who came to save sinners. 
He's the one who came to heal the sick. And he's the one who invites us to know him. So what do we do? It's my prayer that it would be the desire of your heart above all else to actually know Jesus, to move from ideology to person, to move from Christianity to Christ, and to recognize that Christ is life. That's why he can say, if you repent and turn, your sins will be wiped free and you will truly live. Times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord that you know. And here's the thing. Our sin that so weighs us down, I think it weighs all of us. Our sin that should weigh us down and the sin that at times God gives us the ability to see clearly, it will only make sense in light of Jesus' forgiveness. You cannot bear it on your own. We are saved from self and sin and death, but do not forget that the saved part is very real. We are actually saved because if we remain in sin, it means that we remain imprisoned and that we will die as a result of our imprisonment. But Jesus comes radiant in glory, fully man, fully God. Says, don't be afraid. Come and know me and I'll actually give you rest for your souls. Amen? Let's pray. Father, how, how glorious and stunning that radiant in glory you still touch your people and call us to be free. Father, I pray that you would uh, not let us rest, Father, until we are seeking to know you and that we would fall in love with Jesus. Lord, give us tender hearts and guide us by your spirit, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.